and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. Um, and I, I'm excited this morning to kind of continue this, this series that we've been doing on the promise, um, talking about the Holy Spirit and, and just everything that it means to us. And, and, you know, with us being a Pentecostal church, having Pentecostal roots, um, there's a lot of experience um, in, in our midst and in our services of, you know, just having the Spirit here, enjoying the presence of the Holy Spirit, being under the control and influence of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's just something that's intrinsic to who we are as Pentecostals, as Spirit-filled believers. Um, but there's not always a lot of teaching on it, you know, on, on the experience itself. And so that was my goal through this series to kind of talk about it and explain what it is. And there's all kinds of things associated with um, living a Spirit-filled life. And, and, and what we see happening in the New Testament is always kind of, it's a little bit strange. It's a little bit supernatural, which kind of makes sense, right? Because God is supernatural over and above and outside of the natural realm, but sometimes, you know, we kind of get used to experiencing it, and we never really talk about it, especially for those that are new to a Spirit-filled church or to a Pentecostal church, and so I just wanted to take some time and talk about this. We did it a couple of years ago, and I'm revisiting the subject again, but um, looking at this whole idea of Pentecost and what Pentecost is, of course, with us being a Pentecostal church, Pentecost was a festival, a Jewish festival, and, and uh, we see in the New Testament and in the Old Testament this, this festival being celebrated, um, and then the New Testament experience, especially on, on the birthday of the church, there is this parallel from the Old Testament experience and celebration of this festival, this Jewish festival called uh, uh, Pentecost. It, it cap happens 50 days after their festival of Passover, um, and, and Pentecost was kind of a celebration of where and when the people of God, at that time it was the nation of Israel, had received the will of God via the law. And if you're familiar at all with the Ten Commandments, that was the law, that was part of the law uh, given to the nation of Israel that kind of governed them and put them into this contract to be the relate or to be the people of God and to live in relationship with God and this is where they found the power to become what they had never been before within these laws within this covenant that was given to them the purpose of that law was to empower a different kind of living to the nation of Israel so that they would be different from all of the nations around them so that they could shine as a light and be a witness to all of the nations around them that, hey, when you live close in relationship with God, when you live according to God's ways and God's will, look how blessed your life can be. And so it's the same once we get to the New Testament and we see the church being kind of launched on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was the time and the place where the early believers, where what we would call the church began, and where they received the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses. And this actually happened after Jesus' uh, ascension in the book of Acts. It starts off in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, when Jesus told his early followers, but you will receive power. Somebody say power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my what? Witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea uh, and, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is telling them, there's going to be something different about you. I'm going to change your life. I'm going to change who you are and change the way that you live and the way that you be human. And, and, and this is going to, you're going to need this Holy Spirit baptism to come over you and empower you to share that hope with the world around you. And we see this especially happening like right off just a few chapters after this in Acts chapter 4 when, when the Apostle Peter, was, who was one of the early believers, one of the early preachers, was, was walking along one day and God used him to miraculously heal a man 
that couldn't walk. And the religious leaders of the time were really upset about this. I mean, what a terrible thing to do. A man can't walk, and you just prayed over him and got him healed. We need to throw you in jail. I mean, it's just terrible things that he had done, right? And so they bring him to the council, and they, they kind of look at him and say, hey, who gave you the authority and the power to do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And it takes him by surprise, because Peter's just a fisherman, And they're used to not hearing fishermen stand up very boldly in public councils and speak eloquently and respond with reason and and, 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 and meaning and, and, and all of these things. And so how could these ignorant and unschooled men give such eloquent and passionate speeches to this council? In fact, it kind of reminded them of that other guy that they had just gotten rid of not too many days, not too many months maybe before this, named Jesus. And, and they knew in verse 13 it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. There was something different about them. They spoke with an authority and a power of experience that nobody could deny and nobody could say anything against. And at this point, they ended up letting them go. So the Holy Ghost, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, this being filled with the Holy Ghost was something that came to them after they believed. It was after sins had been forgiven. And it's the same thing for us, that God does not leave us with a powerless one-time experience. Like, oh, I, I shook somebody's hand one time, I joined a church membership role one time, or my sins were forgiven one time 15 years ago. No. The Holy Spirit is available to the believers, to the church, in an ongoing, daring, exciting life where we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit into all kinds of different circumstances and scenarios where he enables and empowers us to be the witness of hope to this world. In fact, it's kind of like following the wind. And isn't it kind of funny that it's so windy today? And that's what we looked at in the second lesson of the series, that Jesus was actually explaining what it might look like to follow or to be filled with the Holy Spirit to someone who didn't know what it was all about. And he tells him in John chapter 3 and verse 8, he likens the experience to the wind. And he says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. Anybody with a blown down fence, can you say amen this morning? Yes, my gate is blown open. I heard that some other people's fences have been knocked down. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You can't tell the wind, hey, don't blow over there. You didn't get out of the car this morning, ladies, and tell the wind, don't blow on my hairdo. Right? We can tell. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. We can't tell. You wear it so well. But the wind blows wherever it pleases, and you hear it sound. But you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Jesus is telling him, there is a spiritual adventure for you to explore. Living with Jesus is not supposed to be this stale, ritualistic, dead, and boring type of experience. The Jesus life, the eternal quality of life that he promised, it leads you to do whatever it is that God wants to accomplish in your life world. You have design. You have purpose. You have calling. There is a reason that God created you and that put you where you are and when you are and with whom you are. There is something for you to experience and to, to, or to accomplish. And to accomplish that, you can't do it on your own. You need the Holy Spirit. 
You need the Holy Spirit. And to mix in another metaphor that's all through the New Testament, we are called the body of Christ. We are called the hands and the feet of Jesus. Your hand does whatever your brain tells it to do, right? Your hand doesn't even have the capacity to understand what your brain is telling it to do. Your hand is simply a a tool or an instrument for your brain to accomplish your purpose as you move through this life. So we are filled with the Holy Spirit to lead us into accomplish whatever it is that God wants to accomplish. It's a spiritual empowerment to speak or to act on God's behalf. And we saw this also when we looked at the, the occurrences of the word Holy Spirit in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, that the Holy, the, the Holy Spirit was talked or, or more literally translated as a holy blast of breath from God himself. But of course, that's a little bit clunky to say, and so they started calling it the Spirit of God. It's literally God's energy, God's wind, God's breath that gets breathed over us and breathed into us. And it's not something that we should fear. Although some people, when they talk about the Holy Spirit or we hear the word Holy Ghost, if you're not used to that language, if you haven't been around that very much, it sounds a little bit spooky, right? But the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost was never meant to be something that we're afraid of. And the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost will never lead you to do something you're going to regret later. Hello. If you follow the Holy Spirit, you're never going to end up with a hangover. If you follow the Holy Spirit, you're never going to have an embarrassing tattoo the next day. I promise. It won't happen. All right. We'll just go on from that one. I'm not going to say. There's no trance you fall into. There's nothing that you, you do where you just get lost in this just, just kind of weird stuff that sometimes we hear about happening. But when you feel this deep in His presence, when you feel so close to God, that you feel baptized, as it talks about in the New Testament, baptized with the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, everything around you begins to matter a lot less. And distractions certainly seem to disappear because it's the presence of your Creator. It is the presence of heaven. Heaven come down into our present reality, and God can fill us with His Spirit, with His presence, and we enjoy that closeness to Him that we were created for. You know, that God-sized hole that we all have in our hearts. When we're in that moment, when we're in that experience, God comes so close. It's like the breath of God breathing new life into us. And as believers, we're meant to live with this. We're meant to experience this all throughout our, la- our days, all throughout our experience. He gives us words to speak to people. He gives us prayers that we can pray over people. And you might think, well, I've never done that before. I've never been moved to love someone like that before. I've never been moved to give to someone like that before. I never thought, would have thought to say that or to pray that for him. What is that going on? It's the Father breathing new life into the world through you. It's his breath being channeled and funneled through the believers, just like he did through Jesus during his time here on earth. But so many people who are Christians, so many people who are Jesus followers, stop short of this level of relationship with God. And we think, and, and, and honestly, this is the way that church is presented a, long, a lot of times. That church is all about like guilt management. Like what happens is I've done some bad things and I feel bad for it, so I need to go to church and, and then the man there, or usually it's a man, usually the man there, the woman there, they can tell me what I need to do to say to God, they can tell me what I need to do to get right with God, and then I have my sins forgiven, and then I just go back on about my merry way until I do bad again, until I feel guilty again. Then I need to go to the building again and talk to the person again, and, and that's never what it was supposed to be about. 
God did not call us onto this, this treadmill of religion where it's all about managing our guilt. There is so much more to following Jesus. It's an eternal kind of life, an eternal quality of life, and it is for everyone. Closeness and relationship with God, and, I, and I'm passionate about this, and I pray that God would help me to, to lead people and to challenge people to live this Jesus spirit-filled life where your life and your days and your moments and your words are spirit-led, where your moments and your words and your days are spirit-driven. Jesus, help us to, to pray more so that we learn to know his voice. Jesus, help us to get interested in what you taught and what you said so that we can know the parameters of your will. We can know what your, ver- what your voice might lead us into. But Jesus, help us, help City Grace through the empowering of the Holy Spirit to light up our world, to breathe new life, to breathe new hope, to breathe fresh experience into a stale and musty and closed up world. I want people to look at our church family and say, those people are alive with something. I want people to know the people that go to City Grace. I want the people in your world to know you and know that there is something different about you, that when you pray, healings happen, that when you pray, New possibilities are born. The way that we care for each other is different. The way that we provide for each other is different. The way that we love each other is like a Jesus-level love. I want people to know that about us, and it's never going to happen within our own power. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to baptize us and fill us and inundate our every day and our every life and our every moment. I want the people of this world to see what life can be like when we live submitted to the Holy Spirit. And that's what the early church did. Right from day one, that's why so many people wanted to be a part of the Jesus movement. And, and, and so here's what I want to leave with us a little bit this morning in this, this lesson, and we'll probably have one more lesson after this on this. But when the early church kicked off with this new spirit-filled experience, it was interesting that outsiders wanted to be insiders once they saw the effect that the Spirit had on believers. The world around the church wanted to be a part of the church. When you look at the world today and the way that they view the church, they don't want anything to do with religion. They don't want anything to do with Christianity. They don't want anything to do with what they call antiquated beliefs and antiquated ideas and old-fashioned thoughts and old-fashioned morals and all that kind of stuff because the way that Jesus has been presented to this world has just turned them off. Can I, can I give this analogy? This isn't in my notes, but anybody ever been out in the woods in the dark? Scary, right? Yeah, it's scary. If you're not scared of the woods in the dark, something's the matter with you. I'm just saying this morning. You ever gone to the woods in the dark and somebody close to you or somebody with you has a flashlight? Somebody in the group has a flashlight? Anybody, any control freaks in the room? You hate being the one without the flashlight? Can I hear an amen? Yes. And, and, and you're, you're, you're trying to walk and you're trying to navigate usually to find the restroom in the middle of you know, the night, but we'll just leave that part aside. But as you're walking in the dark, somebody with the light how much help would they be if they turned and shone that light directly into your eyeballs? No, they're not any help at all at that point. At that point, they're making it harder to see the path. But when they take that light and they shine it on the road in front of you, when they take that light and they shine it on their path and you can see where they're stepping and then you're able to follow them, now the light becomes a help. Now the light becomes something that is attractive to me and attractional to me, and I want to follow that because I want to end up where they're going. 
It's the same thing with the light of God's truth. You can take it and say things to people that may be factually correct and end up shining that light in their eyes in such a way that they can't see where God is trying to take them. And people don't want anything to do with it. But when you turn that light on your own steps, when you mind where you're going so that they can see the path and how it can lead to blessing and favor with God, then the people in your world, they'll want what you have. They'll want to know the joy that you have and the peace that you have. And, the and so... Outsiders, when they saw the early church, they wanted to become insiders. And, and I love what we're doing at City Grace and, and how we're kind of changing the conversation and talking about this in ways that this, this new generation kind of needs to hear it. I love what, it, what we're experiencing in growth track at City Grace. It's, it's the way that we introduce new people to City Grace. And if you've not been through growth track, again, you can check on that hello card that I would like to learn more about City Grace, and we'll reach out to you and get you signed up. And it's not just for new people to the church. It's for anybody in this church that's not connected to the church. If you're not serving somewhere, if you're not in a small group, you need to go through Growth Track. Give us four weeks, four Sundays, right after the service, and we'll, we'll help you find, you know, start figuring out why God has led you to City Grace. And we share the vision of City Grace and why we're here and what God is using us to do. You need to be a part of that. I love the stories of baptism and new beginnings at City Grace. It is so beautiful to me when you and I begin to share our stories of how God has changed us and forgiven us and washed us clean and made us light on the inside. The experience of forgiveness, of baptism is so beautiful. And other people, when they hear that, they want in and they want to be a part of it. It's beautiful. Some of the conversations that I've had this year and even just in the last couple of weeks with people that are asking me about baptism, it's awesome that people that have never been baptized as an adult, are, they're hungry for it. They want it. They're craving it. And I'm like, yes, yes, you can be baptized because it's the most beautiful experience, I think, one of the most beautiful experiences you can have in following Jesus. And so again, if you've not been baptized as an adult, you need to sign up for Baptism Sunday. But there's something so attractional about a spirit-filled church. There's something so beautiful to the world that is just, it's dead and it's broken and it's chaotic and there's hurt and there's pain all around us. There is something about a church where God has breathed new life into dead bones where God has breathed new possibilities into people like you and me that were without hope before. And I have pastor friends with spirit-filled churches in other cities, and it's so beautiful to see that new, newcomers come, and, and they love the feeling, and they love the passion. But again, if you're not used to a spirit-filled church environment, if you're not used to loud and boisterous worship, and get scary sometimes, you look around, you see people with their eyes closed, and they're crying and like shaking their head real fast, and you're like, what in the world is going on with this person, right? What's going on with Sister Betty or Sister Karen? Why in the world are they, you know, singing like that? Why, is, why are they, well, first of all, they always sing like that, but they, what, what, what do those noises come out of their mouth? And then you hear Jared get up here, and he's talking about speaking in tongues, or on a first Wednesday night, maybe you come, and we talk about speaking in tongues, and if you've never been around this, it's weird, and when people don't know about Pentecost and, and boisterous worship and speaking in tongues and all of these kinds of things, once they start hearing all of that, people start pumping the brakes. It's strange to see adults sometimes come to an altar at the end of service and start crying for no reason. It's weird. Like, boy, that got really, it's quiet in here. But like, I get up here and I talk for a little bit and then people come forward 
And some of the people are crying and they're bowing their heads. Some people fall to their knees. See, it's just, it's strange. Other people are coming over. There's hands being raised. Sometimes you'll see preachers or some of the minister staff here at City Grace will, will put hands on people's shoulders or hands on people's foreheads. And it's just weird. Like what in the world is going on? It, it's, it's strange sometimes for someone that's new to this to hear somebody beside them or close to them getting kind of deep into prayer and worship. And if that is your reaction, if you're newer to City Grace and you're thinking sometimes it gets a little weird around here, you're normal. You're normal to think we're weird. It's okay to think that something is strange and wonder what's going on. In fact, the first group of outsiders to witness kind of a Pentecostal experience thought the same exact thing that you think. They thought it was weird, and they wondered what was going on. But when that first church service kicked off, and then once it was explained to them what was going on, after they heard about it, they wanted in. So what helped them turn that corner? What helped them go from weird to wanting, from thinking everything was strange to suddenly wanting to be filled with the Spirit themselves? And there's a few reasons for this. And number one, this is the first thing. These are Jewish people who were part of this first Pentecostal experience. And the reason that that's, that's important is because they knew the Jewish Bible. And the Jewish Bible had already promised this centuries before it had ever shown up. In fact, 700 years before it ever started, one of their old preachers named Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 28, he talked about this. He said, very well then, with foreign lips, and everybody said, and strange tongues. God will speak to this people to whom he said, this is the resting place, let the weary rest. They were expecting this to come true. It's just when it finally came true, they weren't really sure what it was going to look like. Hello. They were expecting this to happen, but they weren't really sure what it was going to sound like until that first day that they experienced it. And so the Jesus Church launched on the day of Pentecost, and the spoken gift God had promised these people for centuries finally came true. But if you are not Jewish, and if you don't know the Jewish Bible, and if you didn't know that this was something that the church could expect, you know, you're not looking for all of this, and it would seem really, really weird. Can you imagine if you, without any knowledge had been part of that first crowd in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Here it is, just like Isaiah talked about. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Fifty days after Jesus has been crucified. Fifty days after he's on the cross and there was a huge earthquake. Fifty days after the sky had gone dark. These people were a little bit scared. There was a lot of strange stuff going on. In the last 50 days, they'd heard about dead people being seen around town. It was strange. It was weird. They weren't sure everything that was happening. They'd experienced that, that earthquake that was going on. They knew something was happening. It seemed like God was shifting something in the spiritual world, and something new was on the horizon, but it confused them just like it confuses us sometimes. And so in verse 6, when they heard this sound, when they heard everybody experiencing this, a crowd came together in bewilderment. And they were bewildered because each of them heard their own language being spoken. See, this crowd was a crowd of people from all over the world who had made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for their religious festivals. And they come from all kinds of different locations and places and, and languages and dialects. And when they got to Jerusalem, they're there for the festival, and suddenly they hear in an upstairs room of a house a bunch of people speaking the praises of God, 
but in all these different languages. And they're bewildered and they're amazed and wondering what in the world is going on. And so, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they're just drunk. And that's usually what people think when they come to a Pentecostal church. What does this mean? And why are people drunk here? Because it's usually only at football games and baseball games that people are standing up and clapping and yelling out and giving high fives and cheering and all this other kind of stuff. But here these people are in church. Everybody knows in church you're supposed to be reserved. Everybody knows in church you're supposed to be really quiet because God is nervous. Everybody knows that when you come to church, you need to be reserved and subdued and all of these kinds of things. What does this mean? And y'all are crazy. So listen, if you're here and you think Pentecostals are weird and crazy, you're in good company. A lot of people do when they see this experience going on. But then Peter, who was the vocal leader of the church, came forward to explain this. And again, he took them back to the Jewish scriptures, took them back to the Jewish Bible and said, look, even though you didn't expect it to look like this, even though you didn't expect it to sound like this, this is what God has been talking to us about through those old time preachers all along. And he quotes the old preacher named Joel. And he said, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, on Mexican people on white people, on black people, on what most of us are in the room, some kind of Heinz 57 mix of all of that beautiful goodness. Can I hear an amen from somebody? Yes, on bilingual people, on Republican people, on Democrats even, on rich people. I'm not going to stay there too long. Let me just keep going on. Yeah, we'll just keep going on. On people that, that speak several languages and people that are educated and people with money and people like the rest of us with no money. Can I hear? Yeah, yeah. I didn't even have to say amen. Just yes, Lord. No, we just gave it all in the offering. No, on, on all of us, tall people, short people, fat people, skinny people, it doesn't matter who you are. On good people, on bad people, on sinful people, on lost people, on hurt people, on broke people, God says, I have a new way of being human. I have a new way of being alive. I have redemption and forgiveness and peace and mercy and hope for all of you. And I'm going to pour out my spirit on all. Turn to somebody close to you and tell them, you're all people. <laughs> Hello? Hello? You're all people. You're all people. Not just a few people. Not just the special people, but all us people. And Peter is telling them, look, I know you didn't expect it to look like this. We didn't either. But this is what we have been waiting for. God promised that his breath, a relationship with him, so close and so intimate that the only way it can be described is the breath of God filling up your lungs. Man, that's close. He's giving oxygen to every fiber of who we are spiritually. God promised that his breath would be available to all people. And to this people, they were used to not having a direct connection with God. If we want to talk to God, what we need to do is actually go talk to the priest, and the priest can talk to God for me. 
And Peter's saying, no, no, no. This has been promised from the very beginning that now you have direct access to God. God can breathe directly into your life. You don't have to be one level disconnected. Now God's voice and God's power can fill you directly. It's your prayers that can be heard. It's your whispers of the name of Jesus that bring his presence so very close. This is promised to all, all, all people. See, between... The, the, the Old Testament part of your Bible and the New Testament part of your Bible, it's called the 400 silent years. In the Old Testament, the Spirit, God's Spirit, would speak through a preacher, speak through a prophet, and that prophet would go and tell all the rest of the people, this is what God says. This is what God wants you to do. This is where God wants you to live. This is how God wants you to treat each other. And the people of God had no real access to a personal relationship with their God. It was a national relationship with God that they had. But the individuals didn't have access, just the one or two special people, until Joel gave this promise that I will pour out my spirit on all people, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. They're going to have my will. They're going to know what I want them to do. And so God was saying that I'm going to give this access to everyone, and it's going to start on the day of Pentecost. So by the time you get to the New Testament... It's been 400 years since they've heard from any prophet. No preachers have been saying, this is what God says. They ask the preacher what God says, and the preacher says, I don't know. They ask the prophet what God wants them to do, and the prophet tells them, I don't know. It's been that long since anybody has talked to them. 400 years. Our nation's what? Only a little over 200 years old? Over 400 years. They've been without a a word or a voice from God until John the Baptist and Jesus show up on the scene and start speaking by the breath of the Father, the breath of God, the breath of the Creator starts breathing into the world again. And the people recognized it in Jesus' words. In fact, one time they said of Jesus, never has a man spoken like this man speaks. There's something about his words. It's like they come straight from God, and the words of God through Jesus didn't seem dead anymore. Their thoughts and their ideas of God and what was possible between them and God didn't just seem like, you know, a a broken tradition anymore. Suddenly, it was a new energy going on, And, and so Peter tells the crowd that this is what Jesus had promised, that Jesus promised that not only will this be in me, this is going to be in you. This is going to be in everyone who believes in me through your words. This is what God had promised. And so Peter says, yes, it's strange. And yes, it's unexpected. And you guys thought we were drunk. But drunk people don't usually talk about, well, sometimes drunk people talk about God. But they don't usually talk about the wonders of God. Hello. They don't usually go out and preach a good message that brings people to God. And so it's something something different. And so to the Jewish people gathered around this new phenomenon called the church on the first day, suddenly the promises that God had given them over 700 years earlier were no longer dead. The promises of having a direct relationship with God that they were wondering if God had just forgotten about, suddenly God had showed up and God had come through. But man, it looked strange. Man, it sounded weird. And it was wild. 
And it was supernatural, and it couldn't be tamed. But it was exactly what God had promised to give them. And no longer, hello, from that time to this time until Jesus comes again. Listen to me. There's so much hope in these words. You don't need anybody else to go between you and God. You have access for yourself. The biggest secret in this church, y'all don't need me to pray for you. Hello. Can I be honest as a pastor sometimes? People come up to me and say, Pastor, would you please speak a word to me? I really need to hear from God. And I'm like, so do I. In fact, why don't you go talk to him first and tell me if he says anything for me too. Like, you know, can we turn this situation around? Like, pastor, pray for me. You know, take the hand, put it on the head. I like take their hand, put it on my head. You pray for me. Hello. You don't need me to forgive your sins. I can't forgive your sins. I have a hard time forgiving you if you cut me off in traffic. I'm not going to forgive your sins. Hello. You don't need me to be your go-between. God is calling you, your creator, your maker, the one who knows you, the one who sees you in your pain and in your hurt, the one that's been with you through every moment of your life, the times when things were going great and the times when you were wondering if the whole world was going to cave in. He's there. He knows. He sees. He hears. He's available. He's waiting on you. The promise is here. Hello. The promise is here. You don't have to live apart from God anymore. You don't have to run from God anymore. You don't have to be afraid of God anymore. There is mercy here for you. There is healing and access here for you. The one that speaks peace to the storm can speak peace to the storms of your life. God is available. So you don't need to go look for another man or another priest or someone to go between. Now the breath of God himself is available to fill you and to fill me and to fill these people. And it didn't matter if they were slave or free people. It did not matter if they were sons or daughters or young or old, but from every nation and every language and every family and every race on earth, the presence of God had come to guide his children home, to lead his children, back into relationship with him. It was, a, it was a hope that they had been missing for 400 years, these people, on that first day of the church. 400 years of quiet from God. 400 years of wondering if God had forgotten them. Anybody know what that feels like? 400 years of wondering if God saw them and knew them and heard their cries until suddenly on that day of Pentecost when their relationship with God had seemed dead, the close and personal presence of a heavenly Father came to fill them in such a beautiful and strange and wild and supernatural and unexpected way. And it's like they were saying, I don't know what we were expecting. Yeah, I don't know what we were expecting, but it wasn't this. I don't know what we were expecting God to do, but it wasn't this, because y'all seem drunk. I don't know how we were expecting God to speak, but it wasn't this way, because this is strange, and this is wild, and it sounds funny, and it looks funny, and honestly, it kind of freaked them out a little bit. It kind of freaked them out. Now, I was trying to think of how I could relate this to our experiences and to things that we kind of go through in this life. And I got to thinking about the time 
when my kids were born. And it kind of freaked them out just like it kind of freaked me out the time when Caleb was born. My firstborn son, my only born son, but my firstborn kid. And Caleb was a promise to me. And Caleb was coming. Come on up. Yeah, I called you. I know I usually don't end this quick, but the power went out today, so why not? So everybody's wondering, how do we get the power to go out every Sunday? And Caleb was a promise. And Caleb was coming. We didn't just wake up one morning super surprised that Chelsea was pregnant. Hello. That's not always how it works. Can I hear an amen from somebody? We were expecting it. But ever have, you know, you ever have those people that um, they kind of just spring pictures of their kids on you? You know, like with no warning, somebody new, you just meeting maybe a new coworker or something like that. No warning, they just walk, hey, you want to see my kid? And they show you that picture of their kid. And this is going to sound horrible coming from a pastor, but, you know, sometimes the only thing you can say is, how precious, right? You ever said that to anybody? No, don't raise your hand in church. You can say, just, that's all you can say sometimes when you look at that, that child, how precious. We had Caleb. And Caleb was so precious. Caleb was so precious. And I got his permission before I, I, I shared this this morning. But I, li- I like showing off this picture of my son, Caleb, and telling everybody, this is my kid. Isn't he? <laughs> That's my kid. Won first place in the Halloween costume contest, and it was Valentine's Day. It's my son. But those people that call my kid precious, I hear you. It's because you have no emotional attachment to my kid. Hello. That's why moms, that's why Chelsea anyway, could look at this and say, I love my beautiful, handsome boy. I remain objective. But he just, but hello, when you don't have any emotional connection to that kid, it's hard for you to feel Love for that kid, right? I'm saying that because I know that y'all love Caleb. He's grown into that head. We're (laughs) certainly glad for that. Hello. But when people don't have any emotional attachment, they don't feel anything, right? They don't feel warm for that child. You don't feel warm for your coworker's kid. It's just, oh, look, there's a kid. How precious. That's, That's great, right? Because they weren't there for the journey. They weren't there for the whole process that brought them. Now, look at Caleb once he got a little bit older. Yeah, look at that. And I went ahead and threw jail in there just so it would help the, uh, it would help the whole picture there, you know. But I started searching on my computer for cute baby picture of Caleb, and it just kept coming back like no file found. It was just like, no, that's not the case. That's not the case. We have some good ones, but I got to them too late. It's my bad. But So many things had happened. Caleb didn't just happen. That day that he was born, it didn't just happen out of the blue with no context. It didn't just happen in a way that just like we had no idea he was going to be there and suddenly we're at the hospital saying, what's going on, right? And the diagnosis is you're about to have a baby. No, no. It was a process that happened to get Caleb there. So many things that happened to bring me to that day, December 31st, 11 p.m., my tax break, y'all. That day, that night, when Caleb was born. I remember back the days when I dated Chelsea. Or rather, Chelsea was chasing me. Y'all know Chelsea tried to date me while I still had another girlfriend? Do you guys know that? 
Somebody say, ooh. Yeah, and I say, ooh. I remember Chelsea on my birthday made me, um, I love orange Hostess cupcakes, and she scraped off the white piping, and she wrote with her own white piping, happy birthday. It's like, this is the one. She's the one. I know now. Dating Chelsea. We, we eloped. We ran away and got married at Harvey's Casino up in Tahoe. Um, the Elvis preacher wasn't available, so we went to Harvey's instead. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we got married there, and I remember the guy had, um, he looked like, with, with no offense to anyone that does sell cars, he looked like the stereotypical car salesman. Like, all of his teeth were front teeth, it looked like. There was no molars. It was just front teeth, top and bottom. He just smiled like that the whole time. Pastor Ron, I remember was his name. Pastor Ron married us at Harvey's, and we came back home and got an apartment, River Run Apartments in Vacaville. Anybody know River Run Apartments over there? And Yeah, we lived there for a while. I can remember the candlelight and the dinner and the Luther Vandross. Hello. And then the unbelievable news. She's pregnant. It's expecting. We're expecting. I can remember the belly bumps. I can remember buying those books that just weirded me out where it shows you your baby through every growth stage. You guys ever seen those? It's like there's that little weird kidney bean looking thing and then it like gets the vestigial tail and all that kind of stuff like weird it's like I don't know if I can love that but hello turn the heat up let's get it cooking in there because it's kind of weird remember the belly bump I remember Chelsea telling me well we got to have a house now and me thinking no we don't we can stay right here in this apartment forever hello $700 a month let's stay here buying our first house I remember painting my dad coming over and showing me how to paint he told me, this is the only time I'm going to paint your house for you. And he showed me how. And I painted that house and fixed it up inside and outside and got the nursery ready. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The decorating and the crib and all that kind of good stuff, right? That day on New Year's Eve 2001, I was driving home from work on Highway 37. And Chelsea called me. She said, it's time. It's time. And I'm driving in the car. And like instantly, for those that know me, I sweat a lot. And instantly, a nervous sweat, like it soaked my clothes while I was driving in the car. It's really gross, but I just wanted to share that with you. Just instant nervous sweat drenched me there to the delivery room and in the delivery room holding Chelsea's hand, but nobody could prepare me for that. Hello. There's nothing that could have prepared me for everything that went down in the delivering room. Sights and sounds I hope I never experience again. But then a head and then a face and then the umbilical cord was actually wrapped around his neck like four times and it was scary for a second. Yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of strange. Somebody laughed. <laughs> Somebody laughed. Everybody around him goes, shh. That's what I thought too. I was like, hey, look at that. Doctor told me, calm down, it's all right. And he unwrapped the umbilical cord, and Caleb was gray. They had had to turn him, and his face was all completely smashed down. He looked like, you know, like bank robbers when they wear the pantyhose, and it smashes their face down? Like, my kid's a thief. My kid's born a thief. And it's just birth is a miracle, right? But it's scary, and it's messy, and it's tense and intense, and it's, but it's miraculous. It's amazing. And it's something that's totally out of our control, right? And there's that moment 
in the room where like the baby's there and everybody's just kind of like holding their breath. And, and, and then, you know, there's that smack on the backside and then that cry. So that baby takes in its first breath of air and breathes out and then ah, everybody can relax again because the baby is there. Yeah, I didn't expect any of that. Hello. That was intense. It was crazy. Scared the mess out of me, right? I wasn't sure if I was ready to have kids again. I don't know if I could have, didn't know if I could go through that again, right? But of all those things, of all those things that had happened, all of those things that had transpired, all of that time and the process, the dating, the marriage, the house, the nursery, the pregnancy, all of it had conspired together and worked together to bring, bring me to that moment when they placed my boy in my arms for the first time. For the first time, I met Caleb. That was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. He had hair everywhere. He had hair on his ears. We, we called him Teen Wolf, like right out, of the, right out of the gate. He did. He was born with a full beard and a mustache. It was all of those things that had happened had brought me to that moment, to now, to here, to him. And suddenly that promise, that thing that I had been waiting for, was in my arms. And he looked different. He smelled different. Smelled kind of yucky. Smelled different. He sounded different than what I had expected. But man, he was incredible. He's incredible. So soft. And I love it with newborns when you put your finger in their hands and they just kind of grab on that reflex. And it was my son and I met him. And the miracle of life that God had gifted me had run the full course to that moment when I held him in my arms. And he was nothing, he was nothing at all like what I had expected, but he was so much better than what I expected. Any parents know what I'm talking about? It's nothing at all like what you expected, but it was so much better than what we had expected. And when the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, with the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, circumstances differ from person to person. Your story is going to be different from mine. The way it happens in your life is going to be different from the way that it happens in my life. It can happen in church. It can happen at the altar. It can happen during worship service. It can happen in your truck, right, Jose? Driving to work. I remember that. God filled him, baptized him with the Holy Spirit. Said he started speaking in tongues while he's driving on his way to work. He didn't wreck. He's still here, just in case you're wondering. He made it. I remember Lauren coming, who was blind, and she, does, she had to move away because of her health. But I can remember Lauren, who was blind, sitting in front of her computer, telling me she was in a chat room for the blind online, and someone told her that she could be baptized with God's presence. And sitting there, Lauren, our beautiful sister Lauren, was baptized with the Holy Spirit, alone in her apartment. God filled her with His Spirit, and she began to speak in tongues. It can happen in a private time at home. For me, it happened in a drum cage at the end of a service on the platform. God baptizing me with the Spirit. Circumstances are circumstantial. Hello. Circumstances don't matter. But what I know is that for every one of us who opens ourselves up to being baptized with God's Spirit, there will come a moment, there will come a time when you finally surrender all of your fear and you get rid of all the inhibition. You forget about everything around you. You forget all of the noise and the people there, and it's just you and it's just God. And in that moment when you lift up your hands, and I, I don't know, for me it didn't happen the first time I asked for it. It was actually kind of frustrating I grew up in church, you know, Pentecostal church where people experience this all the time. And I've told this before. I can remember from 9 till 16 years old when I first experienced it. I, experienced it, I can remember coming to the front and 
people praying for me all the time. You know, the men of the church would gather around, give me free shoulder massages all the time during altar call, you know. There'd be people yelling in one ear, hold on, hold on, hold on. There's people yelling in my other ear, let it go, let it go, let it go. I was so confused. But that moment when it was just me and God, everything else just kind of went away. And I can remember God feeling me. And as I began to say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I, I, I don't know when you're going to give your beautiful gift, but all I know is that I'm in and I follow you and I give my life to you. And God began to work through me and I began to give Jesus praise. And I began to tell him, thank, thank you for your goodness and thank you for your mercy to me. And I can remember the first time that God caused me, the Spirit enabled me to speak in tongues. It was something so unexpected. And there comes a moment for every one of us when all the fear is gone and we're simply filled with hope and anticipation. And as you are speaking the praises of God and focused on God and nothing else, God will fill your mouth with a heavenly language. When? I don't know. It's a spirit that gives you that experience. I can't give it to you. It won't happen. It has nothing to do with my hands or when I touch you. It has nothing to do with anybody else. It's you and God. It's such a personal, intimate moment when the breath of heaven comes into your lungs. I don't breathe the breath of heaven in you. It's all up to God. But the Spirit drives the experience, and the Spirit is God so close that literally it's Him breathing into you. It's just like Jesus in John chapter 20 with His disciples. If you can put that verse up for me, Taylor. When again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. To receive the gift is to receive the giver. To receive his breath is to be in his presence and for his presence to be in you. And the very breath of God that had blown into a dead and dusty world through Jesus Christ. It's available then. It's available now. It's been available all this time. And it's available for you. God wants to breathe new hope into your life. God wants to breathe new purpose into your life. There are new experiences that God has created you for that you can't do on your own. Things He wants you to accomplish, you'll never accomplish on your own. But when you open yourself up to the Spirit, when you open yourself up to the breath of God Himself, I'm telling you, your life will change. You'll never be the same. You'll never be the same. And it's nothing like you're expecting, but it's so much better. So much better. For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.